Uh, good morning, everyone. And let's give a big hand to all our mothers in the room today. Ladies, we honor you. It's great. There was a survey that was done. They surveyed a thousand moms. They were curious, what's it like to be a stay-home mom? And, you know, those of you that were stay-home moms, my, my mother was like that. She raised six of us. And stay-home moms, they face some unique challenges. So one of the challenges they face is that relentless peppering of questions that kids bring to them at every age of life. How many understand that? You should. You were the ones that did that to your mothers. So this relentless peppering that takes place. And so they surveyed the ladies and they asked them about this. And they wanted to know, you know, how often do kids ask questions of their moms that stay at home? And they they did a little bit of an average. And here's what they found. That from the morning, early morning until just early afternoon when moms are taking care of their kids, that on average the children ask a question every 2 minutes and 36 seconds. So if you think mothers get rest, no they don't. Two minutes and 30, if you took and you multiplied the number of questions that were asked, here's what it would extrapolate to. That is 105,120 questions per year. No wonder mom knows everything. She has to answer all those questions. It's interesting in the survey, here's what they found, that girls age four ask the most questions and boys age nine ask the least amount of questions. Just an interesting fact. Here, they went a little bit further. They were curious about it, and they wanted to know, so what's the, uh, what's the real background of the type of questions that kids will ask their moms? So the mothers responded by saying, these were the top five toughest questions they faced ranked in their order. Why is water wet? Good question. Where does the sky end? Don't tell your kids this. They'll just take this and run with it. What are shadows made of? Why is the sky blue? And of course, this one. How do fish breathe underwater? When kids posed the same question to their dads, their dad said, go ask your mother, and we'll celebrate Father's Day in a month or so, and that's why we're happy to be dads sometimes, because we have a mom that we can turn to and say, go ask your mother. So regardless of state of life, whether you're married, you're divorced, you're widowed, whether your children are with you or they're not with you, ladies, we really do. We honor you today. Let's give another big hand. All the ladies that are with us, so good to have you here. All right, we're going to jump in. If you're joining us online, great to have you in the other venues over in the chapel. Get your Bibles out. You can go to the app. You can follow along. If you need to borrow a Bible here in the room, raise your hand. And in our other venues, we'll make sure that one is handed to you. You can use it for the service. Leave it on the chair. We'll pick it up. Thank you, ushers, for helping that. If you go to the app, we're going to turn to the book of Ruth. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to go to Ruth chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, that's in the Old Testament. So sort of get inside of that cover to the first third of the Bible. You're going to find the book of Ruth, and we're going to have a little conversation here. And when we look at Ruth, it's an amazing story. So the key players that are introduced at the beginning of this are two individuals by the name of Elimelech and Naomi, and it's really their story into which Ruth would eventually appear. And I, for the sake of our time together today, I want to have a look at the individual that we are introduced to in the beginning of the story, and that that is this person called Naomi. Now, context, I have to give it to you. It's 1300 B.C. We're talking about the ancient Near East, very difficult times. It's the time of the judges. That means that survival was difficult. Times of plenty and times of want. Often in the time of disobedience, season of disobedience, what God would allow is that the nations around Israel would invade the land, torment the Israelites, 
so that their hearts would be turned back towards crying out to God and God's faithfulness could be restored. And it's in this period that we're introduced to this woman named Naomi. And the Bible doesn't waste any time getting into the context of her story. So I want to paint a picture for you this morning. I just want you to think about it, but I want you to have an image in your mind of this ancient Near Eastern village of Bethlehem, the difficulty of life, the hardship they face, and Naomi returning home. So as she enters Bethlehem, everyone stared in disbelief as the two lone figures made their way into the village square. People scurried around like mice, spreading the news of the arrival of these two strangers. Curious as to their origin, but even more curious as to what were their intentions in this little village. With the passing of years, it is said of those that you haven't changed a bit, but the same could not be said of these two. Time had not been favorable, particularly to the older of the two. Lines deeply etched into the leathery surface of her facial skin were clear indicators that life had been hard. Pain, disappointment, loss, and hopelessness. She walked as though bearing an enormous burden. Her gait and her posture indicative of the hardships that she had endured. There was a strange familiarity about the older woman. Something about her movements, her mannerisms, her voice that people could perceive. I want you to imagine there were small clusters of local villagers that were huddled along the edge of the street. They were whispering to one another, and their muffled voices barely discernible to these two strangers. One of the villagers, staring intently at the older of the two women, stared as if in sheer disbelief. A moment of recognition, a moment of awareness, a moment of peeling away the years of hardship, and then the pause... Naomi? Could it be Naomi? A voice queried from the edge of the market, Naomi, hoping for a response. Naomi, is that you? And at this, the entire village erupted in disbelief. Naomi? Impossible. It's been years since she's been here. Where's her husband? Where's her boys? And who's the woman that's with her? Memories freshly peaked of conversations from years gone by. The elderly woman lifted her face, using her hand to shield her eyes from that bright Palestinian sky. Mustering the strength of her vocal cords, she shouts, No! This time, thundering with a firm resolve, No, no, no. My name is not Naomi. For those that were sure that it was her, they were shocked by her refusal to acknowledge her presence. But again, the resolve in her voice, no, my name is Mara. And they all knew what that meant. Names carry an indicator of a life. And for Mara, it meant the bitter one. More than 10 years had had lapsed since she had departed from Bethlehem, and she returns. No ticker tape parades, no band, no drums, no bugle, no ram's horn, no banners, no posters, no balloons, no ribbons. Her dreams, not unlike any other woman of her time, dreams of true love, dreams of marriage, dreams of family, dreams of comfort, dreams of security, dreams of laughter, 
dreams of happiness. Her dreams all but shattered. What had started on the right course, somewhere along the way, life had done something to her, and it took a drastic, drastic turn. And everything in her life came crashing down. Her dreams of sunshine and happiness dissolved into a life immersed in shadows, wrestling with doubts, uncertainty, and bitter disappointment. I went away, her own words, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The one you know is Naomi, that is not me, for I am Mara. The question that is begged to be asked in the story, what do you do when you find yourself living in the land of the shadows? What do you do when your life, like Naomi's life, everything crashed? And how do you somehow summon the courage to press forward and to believe there's a purpose in the middle of all this? See, we've been there. In fact, some of us are there today. Some of us live in the land of the shadows because of our finances or our marriage or our relationships or our prodigal children or the uncertainty of our future or education that we pursued and suddenly there's no job in the market for that. So we live in this land of shadows all the time. And there's a lesson to be learned from Naomi for she has already journeyed through this. And today what I want to share with you for a few moments is what do you do? What do I do? when I journey through that same land of the shadows, when everything I thought was working out doesn't quite work out the way I wanted it, is there hope and is there purpose in the middle of that? If you'll take out your bulletins, I have a few notes to share with you and you have your Bibles open. I want to go to Ruth chapter 1 and verse 19. And let me read the writer, the biblical writer's narrative as I begin to unpack for you some thoughts. So in Ruth 1.19, here's how we read the synopsis of this story. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So real quickly, let me give you some context. If you're new to the Bible, maybe you're new to the story over in the book of Ruth, it's important to put all the pieces together because this part that we just read is certainly one where you hear the heartbreak of a woman finding herself in a dismal circumstance. You go, what brought her to this? How did she get there? So let's go back and look at the story. That's not the way it began. A couple of slides on the screen for you. It started off with true love. She met a man that she fell in love with. His name was Elimelech, and they thought they were going to have this wonderful, perfect marriage together, and they would settle in the region of Bethlehem. It would get better. They would have a happy family, two sons. They would name them Malon and Kilion, and all would be great. But then there was new challenge. There was a famine in Judea, forcing them to have to relocate, and they moved to the region of Moab. But Moab wasn't all that bad. There was a promising future there. For they found wives for their two sons, and the two boys would marry two girls, and a mother's heart would be full and blessed because of this. But then there was deep heartache because a husband died unexpectedly, leaving her widowed, yet with family. Then bitter sorrow would strike that home because both sons would die, and suddenly she is now alone. She's left to survive, and she has two daughter-in-laws. She is a foreigner, and there is bitter disappointment that she has to wrestle with. 
That is a fast 60-second blur through the story of Naomi to give you a context that in this moment, now living in a foreign land, she decides it's time to go home. It's just time to go home. I've lost everything. My dreams are gone. My husband's dead. My sons are gone. I have nothing left. I'm going to go back to the little bit that I do know. And the one place I do know is a little place called Bethlehem. And though I go back empty and I go back bitter, at least I can go back home. And we all do that. Home is a safe place for us. She turns to the two girls. Their names are Orpah and Ruth. And she says to these two daughter-in-laws, I love you for what you have done for my family, but I release you from your familial obligations. You don't have to stay with me anymore. Both daughter-in-laws are now bound by culture and bound by tradition to stay with their mother-in-law, and yet she pleads with them, and she says, you don't need to do this because you're young enough, you can still remarry. You're at home here. This is your home. Moab is not mine. Find men. Settle down. Start new lives. Orpah takes her mother-in-law up on the offer, and she leaves. But Ruth, after whom the book is named, Ruth is the one that would say to her mother-in-law, no, No, I'll go with you. It's an interesting twist in the journey of this young woman who had better options in Moab, but something about her mother-in-law intrigued her to the point of her relationship that she would commit herself to going with her. So we come back to Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. Two lone strangers travel into the heart of a little village called Bethlehem. Hot and dusty, dry and dirty. Empty of happiness bitter of heart. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for I am bitter. Friends, we have all traveled the journey. We have all understood what the land of the shadows look like. But what do we learn when we're in those places? What can we glean from a woman whose heart now is emptied and there seems to be nothing to offer those who follow after her? There is much to be learned. And I believe there's something for every one of us. So in your notes, I want you to write a couple of things down. Here's the first thing to write down. Never underestimate the importance of your faith. That when everything seems to be stripped away, I want to remind all of us today that your faith through your sunny seasons and even into your shadowy seasons is working even if you don't perceive that it's at work. And that's the lesson that we discover from Naomi. When you look at the story and you go into the full context of it, her husband uproots the family, relocates them to Moab, and yet Naomi remains faithful to God. When her husband dies and she's left as a widow, she remains faithful to her God. When her sons die and leaves her with two daughter-in-laws, but no future, no hope, no security, she yet remains faithful to her God. Now, this doesn't mean that she didn't have questions. This doesn't mean that there weren't moments of serious doubt and uncertainty. This is the question for all of us. But the story of her return home is also the story of the incredible impact of faith on her life. For what she saw as the emptiness, which she proclaimed to those who were in Bethlehem, God all along had been building into the very fabric of her life the power and the importance of her faith. So much so that Naomi doesn't even realize how deeply it has impacted her own surrounding. Look in your notes in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16. When Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem and Ruth says, I want to go, here are the words of Ruth. Ruth says to Naomi, please don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Here it is. Your people will be my people, 
and your God will be my God. What's so important about that verse? What's so compelling in this moment right here? And here's what we need to capture. Ruth is not Jewish. She's not an Israelite. She married into the family, and by all accounts, she's been released from the family. She doesn't have to go. But there was something about Naomi. There's something about how you handle yourself when you lose a loved one. There's something about how you raise your sons and you teach them how to worship. There's something about how you treat your daughter-in-laws and you instill the values of Yahweh, Jehovah, and your world is so immersed in the observance of faith and the practice of faith that even a daughter-in-law who is unfamiliar with everything about you goes, whatever it is about you, I want your God to be my God. So here's Naomi traveling in the land of shadows, not even realizing the significant impact that her faith was having on her own daughter-in-laws. Friends, this is what happens. When we move into this realm of the shadows of our lives, we want to return to a place of safety. We want to go back, and we often travel with the emptiness of our souls and the bitterness of our heart, but we miss something. Never underestimate the importance of your faith because your faithfulness through the journey of your life is always planting seeds and bearing fruit. God always uses every season of our life, no matter what we're going through. And here is Naomi now beginning to realize, my faith has deeply impacted a daughter-in-law to the point that she is willing to travel with me. So when you're in the land of the shadows, never, ever, ever underestimate the importance of your faith. How many of you know who Denzel Washington is? Great actor, very accomplished actor. Love watching his performances. When he was young, great story in his life. When he was young and he was really making his way into the world, he'd sort of broken through, emerged as a great actor and a screen actor. And he went home one day to his mother. And he came from very humble beginnings, but when he went home, he walked into his house and his mother was there. And he walked, and you know how, you know how kids are, young kids are, young adults are, when you're starting to make your way through, you go home, you want to impress mom and dad, don't you? You go, hey, look at my new car, look at my new clothes, look at how I'm doing. So he walks into the house and he says to mom, mom, did you ever believe that the day would come that I would be able to come home and take care of you? That I could just, if you need something, I could buy it for you. And if you wanted to go somewhere, I could provide that for you. Who ever thought that I could be that great? Right, mom? And his mom replied, so you think you're that big, do you? He goes, well, Mr. Big Shot, you can take the mop, the bucket, and go wash those windows. And then she continued, and she said, boy, now only a mother can get away with that one. She said, boy, what you have forgotten is how many times I prayed for you. You have forgotten how many prayer meetings I called and I got people together and we prayed for you. You have forgotten how many times we gathered the community of people together to pray for you. You're not that big. Only a mother can humble a son. But I'll tell you what, Denzel never forgot the lesson. His mother instilled into him, you didn't get to where you are because of your own abilities. You got there because of the faith of your parents and the faithfulness of your mother. And when you live in the land of shadows or you're living in the realm of success, it's a good reminder in both ways because the Bible says even when we're going through times of success, God told Israel, when everything is going your way and the bank bills are coming in and money is good and your RSP accounts are good, be careful. That's when you're going to forget. So when you're in this journey... Never, ever, ever forget the importance of your faith. Never underestimate it. Well, go to your notes. Here's another one. Number two, what do you do when you're living in the land of the shadows? It's important to learn to appreciate the presence of family. The presence of family. 
Our first response when we go through difficult times is to isolate, to pull away, to cocoon, to push people back and to move them off to the fringe. I can do this on my own. I can handle this by myself. Or we're so hurt, we're so broken, we're so wounded, we don't want anybody to get close to us. And we see it in Naomi's life. What were her first words when she entered Bethlehem? Her first words recorded in Scripture. Here's what she says. Don't call me Naomi. That meant grace. That meant pleasant. Her name meant lovely one. Her parents named her for the joy that she had brought into their lives and for the hope that she promised. That young life looks so promising. And now on her return from the land of Moab, she walks in and she goes, no, don't call me the lovely one. Don't call me the pleasant one. Don't remind me of my family. That's all gone. Call me the bitter one. Call me the empty one. Call me the one that God has stripped everything away from. And I got thinking about this. Very interesting. For she had plenty of reason to complain. She had plenty of reason to list all the things that she had lost. But when she made this declaration, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Here's what I thought about. Her perception of her circumstance was not an accurate reflection of her reality. Her perception of her situation was in fact faulted. For the very declaration, don't call me full, call me empty, she'd completely forgotten about this woman standing next to her named Ruth. That there was someone who was willing to abandon all that she knew to be true and all that she loved standing right. There was family next to her. And I wondered about that. How would you have felt had you been Ruth, standing next to Naomi? You've traveled all the way from Moab, supporting your mother-in-law. And in a moment of declaration, your mother-in-law goes, I'm empty, I'm bitter, I have nothing. And Ruth is going, no, you're not. No, you're not. I'm here. I'm your family. I'm part of this story. So when we come to these living in the land of the shadows, it's so important for each and every one of us to learn to appreciate the presence of family. It doesn't mean our circumstances and situations won't be difficult. It doesn't mean that there is not going to be uncertainty and, and moments of despair and disappointment. But what we do need to learn is to look around and recognize that we are never alone, even in our darkest moments, and particularly when it comes to this realm of family. Here's Ruth working so hard to support Naomi. She would even end up working in the fields. And whose field should she be in? But one of the family members. Look in your notes for a moment. It's found over in Ruth chapter 2, verse 19. Ruth and Naomi are talking about where Ruth had been working. And she says to her mother-in-law about the place where she had been working, the name of the man that I worked with today, his name is Boaz. And so Ruth, or Naomi replies, the Lord bless him, Naomi said. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and to the dead. And she added this, this man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers or our kinsman redeemers. I love this. Naomi went to Bethlehem thinking everything was lost. She forgot Ruth was standing next to her. And then when Ruth gets a job, whose field does she end up working in? She's picking up leftover grain behind the pickers. Who is she working in? It's one of their own family members. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is when we're in the land of shadows and we have this tendency to push everybody else away, we forget about the power and the importance of family. If you look at your life, God always have, always has people around you. There's always family available for you. In fact, what does he call the church? 
We are the family of God. He calls us brothers and sisters. Look around the room. Look around the other venues. If you're watching online, just look at the room today. Everybody here is part of God's family. Never forget the importance of family and how family plays into your life. It's the gift that God gives us, the presence of those who love us, support us, believe in us. They challenge us. They wrestle with us. They understand us, and they are patient with us. Brene Brown is a great speaker and communicator and often a conference speaker. She talks about a period in her life where she was going through a particularly difficult time. And she had heard that when people go through those stretches, they'll often go back to church. And she made a decision, then I'm going to go back to church because maybe that's where I'll get infused with the hope and the strength that I need. But her story is quite interesting. I want you to listen to it from her. Watch the screen. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think... That that and you know it's interesting because my my return to faith was definitely around that breakdown. That's when I went, you know, but I went for the wrong reasons. I really went because I'm like this hard, this is hard and this hurts. And in all the midlife unraveling books, they say go back to church. That's what everybody does. So I went back to church thinking that it would be like um, an epidural, like it would take the pain away. Like I would just replace research with church, you know, and then church would make the pain go away. And then, it, you know, I write, all, I write in this book I'm working on right now that it was, you know, faith in church was not an epidural for, for me at all. It was like a midwife who just stood next to me saying, push. It's supposed to hurt a little bit, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it was a completely new experience going back for me. And, and now, you know, I always find all my faith, like I can't quote scripture, but I can quote song lyrics. Um, and so I have, you know, going to a church that's Christ, you know, has Christ in the name of it. But one of the things that helped me really recognize that was Leonard Cohen. He's got this, because my, my straightforward faith is basically, I believe God is love. And it makes total sense to me that Jesus would have to be the son of God because people would want love to be like unicorns and rainbows. And so then you just send Jesus and, and people go, oh my God, love is hard. Love is sacrifice. Love is... You know, eating with the sick. Love is breaking bread with people that, you know, that can, you know, love is trouble. Love is rebellious. Love is... And so I was listening to this Leonard Cohen song, and it said, love is not a victory march. Love is a cold and broken hallelujah. And to me, that made sense of that. That, that totally, like, I, like, I got it. That, you know, when I listened to it, I'm like, love is not easy. Love is not like hearts and bows. Love is very, uh, love is very controversial, really. I love that raw honesty of her statement. She says, I went to church thinking it would be like an epidural that would just sort of numb and fix everything. She says, it's not like an epidural at all. It's like a midwife standing there going, push, 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 push. And often that's what family is like. And we learn to appreciate the presence of family because the church is about people who will speak the love to one another, who will speak love to one another and honesty to one another and they'll encourage one another. That's where the strength of when we go through shadowy times in our lives that we're not always looking for somebody to just put their hand on our shoulder and go, it's going to get better, it's going to get better. But sometimes they come alongside and they go, you're going to have to work a little bit harder. You're going to have to look at this direction. And that's why there's strength when we're in the land of shadows. And that's one of that, those indispensable principles we learn from Naomi that what we look at in the moment she wants us to believe is perfect bitterness, God's going, no, 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 no. You didn't come back empty. You came back with family. You have people all around you, and I don't know what you're going through today, and I don't know what your marriage is like or your prodigal kids are like or what your work situation is like, but we all have shadows that we wrestle with. 
and our, ten- our tendency or our, our temptation is to move out into the peripheral parts and move away. And what we need to do is learn how to appreciate that there's a, a Ruth beside us. There's a Boaz beside us. There's a Jesus beside us when we're going through that. And often it's in the form of one who is very loved and very close into our story. Mary Thomas was a single parent raising nine children. Let me restate that. Nine children, seven boys, two girls, 1966, West Side Chicago, tough neighborhood, brutal place to live. Said one day, Mary said, there was a knock on the door. I opened up the door, and there on the steps was 25 members of a street gang. It was the Vice Lord Street Gang. The lead member standing at the top of the steps said, we're here for your boys. It's time for them to join the gang. It's how life was in West Side Chicago. So Mary, looking at the 25 gang members, realizing she has no control over the situation, she goes, oh, okay, just a moment, and she closed the door. She stepped back inside, she returned, and when she opened the door, the members of the Vice Lord Street Gang were looking down the barrel of a shotgun, to which Mary said, there's only one gang around here, it's called the Thomas Gang. Those boys left Mary's house. Mary successfully raised her seven boys, two girls, all the way up through high school graduation on into their careers, keeping them safe through that difficult season of life. Her youngest son, a pro basketball player, Hall of Famer, Isaiah Thomas, loves to tell the story of the power and the presence of family. Learn to appreciate your family. Kids, when you go home, hug mom. Mom, when you go home, hug somebody even if they're difficult kids. Family is what makes a difference for us, and that's exactly what Naomi is learning in her story. Ruth was there. Boaz was there. But more importantly, and if you're in your notes, let's go to the last thought this morning. She was also going to discover that God had always been there, always trust in the the promise of God's faithfulness. Always trust in the promise of God's faithfulness. It's what Paul refers to in Romans chapter 8. Verse 28, he said, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul didn't say in the good things. Paul said in all things. So that when shadows surround us and we feel as if life has treated us more difficultly than we deserve or we've been rejected or our dreams are just shattered, we are reminded that Paul says that in all things, God will work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So God was proving himself to Naomi in ways that she didn't understand, but in ways that she would soon learn. Yes, she had lost her husband. Yes, she had lost her son. She had lost a daughter-in-law. Orpah didn't come with her. Her reputation had been diminished, and she came back to a community that barely recognized her. So her standing in her community was gone. Her future seemed bleak and hopeless. Who would carry on the family name? Who would support her? Little did she know that a foreign woman by the name of Ruth who would marry into her family would find favor in the eyes of Boaz who would be a close relative, a kinsman redeemer. Now that term, that guardian redeemer, that kinsman redeemer meant that Boaz would have the opportunity if he so desired to marry Ruth and the union of that relationship would preserve Naomi's family's name and heritage. In fact, In their culture and tradition, the first child born in to that marriage would legally receive the inheritance that Elimelech and Naomi would have. 
that child would, in fact, carry on the family name and the family destiny. So you put this whole story together, and Naomi was learning that God is always faithful. For when Ruth married Boaz, there was a beautiful child that would be born into that union by the name of Obed. And Obed, as Naomi is holding this grandson, soon to be privileged to be the heir as a son to the family, little did she know that that little child would in fact become the father of Jesse. And Jesse would become the father of David, King David. So this gift of a foreign daughter-in-law would privilege her and remind her of the faithfulness of God. In your notes, Psalm 33, verse 11, it says, The plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. We may not see the tapestry of God's plan, but we can always trust in the promise of God's faithfulness. And that's what Naomi was learning. I thought about this for a little while, and I got thinking as Naomi was holding this little child, little did she know that within the span of less than 100 years, David would become that principal name that we would all hear about. And it would be through David's lineage that another child would be born. And for this child, his parents too would find themselves living in the land of shadows. Have you ever found that your family history seems to repeat itself? That for this child in future years, his parents would face scandal, questions of betrayal, a premarital pregnancy, and cradled in the arms of Mary and Joseph who were living in the land of shadows was born the one who would be the forgiver of sins, the rescuer, the redeemer. Never underestimate what God is doing when your life seems dark and you want to say it's bitter. And never forget when you're living in the light and everything seems good and you think you've done it by your own hand, God is always faithful and God is always working. So may we learn the lessons from Naomi and may we not call ourselves bitter, but let us call ourselves blessed. So Father, this morning we pray, would you take the truth of that word, drive it deep into our hearts, for I know every one of us is on a journey and we go through seasons in life. So I pray for everyone in this room, everyone listening to my voice, watching online in the other venues. If they're in a season of shadows, and regardless of what the circumstances are, would you remind them like you did with Naomi, God, you're always there. You're always faithful. And your plans will prevail in spite of what we do and what we think. And I also pray, Lord, for those of us that are maybe in a place where it's fair weather and everything is good and we feel like the sun is shining and everything seems just the way we dreamed it would be. May our eyes never turn away from you. May our hearts remain faithful. And may we thank you every day that we are your kids, blessed at your hand. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.